Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to the Watford Buzz podcast, the show where we talk exclusively about Watford Football Club. My name is Matthew Messiano, and joining me today is football analyst Jordan Weimer, and he's back. It's football journo Tom Burdell. Uh, Tom, how was your how was your week off? Oh, lovely, mate. It was yeah, in the was, sun. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's it exactly. No, it was it was it was strange not to record with you two, but you did play a fantastic podcast as always, which I very much enjoyed listening to, uh, despite the fact that we were obviously talking about a defeat for the first time in a while. Yeah, checks in, checks in the post there, Tom. Thank you. That's very kind. <laughs> Uh, thankfully, we've got a win to talk about today. Um, quick word, though, on uh, on Glenn Rodo, because he sadly passed away very recently. Um, you know, he was both a manager and a player at the club. Bit of a legend, really, Jordan. Yeah, it's a massive shame. It's, um, it's terrible news. And yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just one of those one of those things, isn't it? It's very difficult and puts a, a nasty spin on things. But I mean, obviously, he was a great servant for the club. And yeah, I think we, we all feel like we've paid our respects over the last few days. Obviously, it's awfully sad news regarding Glenn Rose and, and given the time that he spent at the club, it was sort of as a player, certainly before I was born and, and as a manager, you know, in my very infancy. But what I would like to say is just quickly, if you've got time, do go to the WatfordLegends.com website because they've got their uh, interview with him from a little while ago up on the homepage. Should be able to find it very easily. And I just think it um, backs up everything that's been said about him, about what, what a good, decent, you know, better than decent bloke he was. And the warmth with which he speaks with Watford, even though he obviously had a, a lengthy career at Newcastle prior to that and a lengthy association with other clubs after that, after his time at Vicarage Road, probably, you know, sums up the kind of character of the man. So that's well worth five minutes of your time if you uh, want to find out a little bit more of Glenn Roder. Yeah, and I thought so. I was certainly with his family at this time. Um Right back to winning ways then. Yesterday, not the uh, not the best victory of the season, but um, certainly one man who's had his fair share of criticism was on the score sheet, which uh, which made it very interesting for us. And in fact, he scored twice. Jordan, uh, an improvement over the Bournemouth performance, and uh, probably uh, an improvement for Andre Gray's performances. Yeah, I think the performance as a whole, I think we kind of got back to work and we went into this Wickham game kind of looking to try and exploit Wickham and, and be a little bit more patient with the ball. And yeah, we were being a bit proactive again, which is what I thought we were really lacking against Bournemouth. I thought we kind of got sucked into that trap a little bit. And yeah, I think it was a good reset. Um, but there's some positives from that from that game for sure. Uh, as, as for Andre Gray, obviously, you know, getting back to scoring, it's a, it's, a big, it's a big thing for him. He has to be doing that. 
I think we've touched on before, if he's not scoring goals, he's not going to be offering you the most as a striker, especially as, as a lone striker. You kind of need a little bit more from him, um, which is something that over the years we've seen, you know, someone for, like Troy Deeney, for example, he's had that to his game. He's offered other elements to his game when he's not scoring goals that can kind of, you know, compensate for that. Andre Gray doesn't really have that, so he needs to be scoring. And I think yesterday he got in the right positions and he had some really nice help around him, two really good assists. And I think, uh, yeah, if he continues to do that, then then that's how he gets in this team. Tom, Gray got his chance because obviously Jao Pedro is out through suspension. Um, do you think he took it? Yeah. As Jordan said, I think he you have to accept him with certain limitations, don't you? He's not uh, someone that's going to bring others into play overly or, you know, do things off the ball too much. Uh, but he is what he trades on, I suppose, or what he has traded on in the past is being a finisher. And he was presented with two very passable chances last night and he scored both of them. So in that respect, you, you can't really knock his performance. And I'm, I'm sure it has been written or said somewhere by someone in relation to this game that, you know, strikers are paid to put away chances. And he did exactly that. Uh, we had a little bit of debate between us, didn't we? The three of us in the week after it became apparent that Israel Pedro was obviously going to be suspended for this one as to whether it would be Gray or Parizza who mm. came in and, and, and Jordan felt, I hope you don't mind me saying this, Jordan, you're probably going to say it for yourself regardless, but that Parizza would have been the better player given the type of game we expected against Wickham. And while I wholeheartedly respect that view, I said, I think Gray has to play because you're never going to get a better chance to break your duck against the team that is for all their kind of battling qualities and defensive solidity and you know even last night although we had a lot of territory and a lot of possession we didn't carve them open too often you know they they were very deep and very compact and a lot of de- lot of defenders back a lot of bodies back for most of the game didn't they um you know but if you're ever gonna if you're ever gonna do it a, a game against Wickham struggling was was his best opportunity so yes on on the face of it I think sort of job done it will do his confidence the absolute world of goods i'm sure and you know the question now is does he keep his place for the weekend with uh with Trao pedro coming back and and the, and the visit from forest i think really he has to whether he does 90 minutes or not is another question yeah i think that's i mean i think when it, when it comes to deciding who plays i think i was my initial concern just came from how well is gregor do at finding space in that box and i think you know, the work around him was so good yesterday. I think uh, maybe Zinkenegel playing in that number 10 role kind of threw a little bit bit of a curveball. I think if you're going to play Andre Gray, uh, it, based on based on the system and we've got in place and the players available, I think throwing someone like Zinkenegel in there gives him that better chance because he needs service. Um, he's not going to create his own chances. Uh, he needs some he needs some some help with that, which is fine. A lot of strikers do, but I think Zinkenegel allows uh, allows that possibility for them balls to be put through. And obviously, we saw his patience in the edge of the box. I'm not trying to take anything anything away from Andre Gray. I think he took his goals very well. Um, but I, I think if we can accommodate him, then it's uh, then yeah, it's, it's, it can be productive. I think always the question has been: Is it worth kind of focusing your attention on fitting Gray into the team and maybe you know neglecting some other areas but I thought last night against Wickham I thought we found a good balance of that uh, considering the, the type of game that it is I, I wouldn't think it's naturally one that suits Andre Gray just because he has to be a little bit more active in the box and he can't quite uh, capitalise on that space that might be left behind from a team that's being a little bit more aggressive um, in, in the opposition third mm. I just worry Tom if uh if Gray is retained as as the striker rather than Pedro, 
what's it saying to to the likes of Pedro, who's you know been better form than Gray all season, um, been scoring goals, and and suddenly you're dropped because this guy who uh, who we need to get his form back because we want to potentially sell him off and try and recoup some of that money. We need him to carry on carry on scoring goals. I mean, I don't know. Is it is it fair? <sighs> It's a it is a catch twenty two. There's no denying that. You know, on, on form you bring you bring the guy in that, as you say, has, has outperformed uh, Andre Gray all season. Really, I just think from a you know, it's evidently sort of some fragility around around Gray and, and his position in the team and at the club. I suppose, given everything, it just seems like a bad message to send out that after scoring two goals. You're going to be dropped. You know, it's a it's going to be a far tougher game, albeit Forest aren't flying. Um, you, it will be a tougher match, and I I just think you start Gray to kind of say out of, just out of fairness as much as anything. And if he if it's not happening, then you've got João Pedro to bring on. Or another way of doing it for me and Jordan, I'm interested to hear what you got to say on this. Is you maybe take Ken Semmer out for a day and give him a break and put Pedro on the left again, but or even. Actually, there's probably no point in even discussing Zinkanagel on the left, is there? Because we're so short of a central midfielder, he's probably nailed on to play there. So, yeah, that might be another way of doing it. Yeah, I think that's probably not not a bad idea at all. I think if you if you're looking at how you can use your players and and cover those bases, as you say, with the midfield options we have unavailable, um, I think you have to start looking at those things. And and Ken Semmer, I think, has looked fatigued the last few games. He's he's able to have such an impact on games, and you can see quite quickly when he's not really up to that full speed. And I think he needs a break. And I think Jao Pedro, while it's not as I'm still pretty confident, I'd like to see Jao Pedro in that in that central role more often than not. But in in this sort of situation, then the that's what needs to happen then by all means um, in terms of if you try and make a decision between Gray and Pedro I think you could you could argue for either obviously um, I think if we're talking about just looking at it in isolation most people would rather uh, would rather Pedro but if you're talking about the whole you know the whole situation then you know Jao Pedro is only unavailable because of his own discipline so there's an argument for saying you know the opportunity came about for Gray because you you got yourself sent off which ultimately is what happened um and if a player comes in and takes some opportunities then they should be able to to continue in the team by merit uh, if that's what it takes and he he took the opportunity when he got it so credit to Andre Gray um I think either decision you could really you could find an argument to defend it's a tough one for Shishko but I think he has got um he's got quite a few ways he can go with this and as Tom's saying there if, you, if you're playing Pedro and Gray then that's a pretty decent compromise Gray was the one who obviously scored both of those goals. But um, no surprise, Tom, that um, both were set up by players who have been really playing well on a yellow shirt this season. First one from from Kiko Firmini, and then the second one was a nice little ball from from Philip Zinkenagel. Yeah, they were well-made goals, weren't they, I thought. Um, obviously, we know all about Kiko going up and down that right-hand side. We know he's got a, a you know devilish delivery on him. When he gets it right, and in, that was just a superb ball, really, wasn't it? Right into that kind of area that all centre forwards want the ball to come. And I think um, later in the in the first half, there was another sort of opportunity that that came about from getting another ball into that area, and, and David stopped there, had to get a, get a hand out and, and stop the ball running across the face goal to Andre Gray. But I think the second one was probably what really caught people's attention, wasn't it? Because it, it was Zinkenagel, and it was a lovely little sort of disguised through ball to split that Wickham defence. And in one moment, he'd already had a good game up to that point, but in one moment, I think we all had that kind of eureka moment of, yeah, this guy definitely 
has got some some real ability and you know can be that kind of creative link between midfield and attack. We've obviously seen a lot more of him um, in a midfield role rather than a, a true sort of winger position, forward position. Um, but I actually was really impressed with, I think as the whole of Watford Twitter was, I was really impressed with him yesterday. I thought he, you know, he grabbed his chance the first first start in the league. And despite being in a normally unfamiliar position, you know, he went and, 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 and made the most of it. He got got forward well, you know, carried the ball, made things happen, drove us forward, neat and what have you, and tidy in possession. I I was really quite impressed with him. So that was a good sign and you, you kind of hope that um, he can uh, he can build on that now going forward. You said he's nailed on to be in, in midfield and that's because unfortunately uh, another player has looked very good this season. Tom Cleverley picked up an injury that looked like it, it was his knee. So it looks like Tom Cleverley could be out. Um, he says on his Instagram that it, uh, it it doesn't feel that bad. So hopefully we'll wait to see what happens after the scan. Um, we've had the results from that now. Um, Jordan, what's the latest? Yeah, so it's, it sounds like it's a, a sprain. Um, it's some ligament damage. So at least it's not a tear, which gives us hope to be back. And they're saying between the international break, between March 20th and April 2nd. So Cleverly is definitely going to be out for a few games, um, but it could be as little as four. I think that's probably what we expected, best case scenario. I'm glad that he came off and didn't try and continue through it. Obviously, we saw how detrimental that could be with Tom Deli Bashiri's injury. Um, I think it's all about kind of protecting that knee now and trying to get him back when he's actually ready despite how you know short we are in that position but good news overall that it's not something more serious yeah absolutely could have been a lot worse couldn't it it could um so yeah we've got to be we've got to be smart on how you how we operate in the field now i think obviously having zinc and Nagel in there yesterday kind of shows that we can use some different options and and also play that midfield in a slightly different way um i think in previous previous four or five games we've kind of seen that that tandem midfield two in front of Will Hughes that kind of uses them, them two presses. We've talked about a lot on this podcast. They're, they're pressing, they're trying to break up that opposition midfield and stop that build-up of play. Whereas last night we saw kind of that more traditional two deeper line midfielders with Will Hughes and Cleverly. And then you've got that forward, more advanced midfielder in, in uh, Philip Zinkenegel who's kind of playing that number 10 role and looking to pick up the ball and, and get in some wide areas and just kind of move around and be more of a more of an attacking threat. So maybe it's good in a sense that we kind of have... have played around with that 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 shape in the field and maybe we can uh, adapt things and, and try and work a way of uh, getting players that are available into the team without disrupting the kind of flow of what we're trying to build over the last few weeks and quite timely that uh, there's been an announcement of a new recruit coming through the doors at uh, Watford's training ground in London Colney it's uh, another midfielder which is very useful given given what's just happened although not possibly the midfielder that people were hoping for certainly not the Colombian international that uh, people were, were hoping to to join us. It's actually Carlos Sanchez who's who's come in, the former Aston Villa and West Ham man, who's you know thirty five years of age. But given that um, you know we need somebody in that area, um, maybe not the you know the, the worst sign that could have been made. Uh, Tom, what's your opinion of this? I understand you've you've checked out from talking to a few uh, fans of his former clubs. That uh, you know, how, how what we should expect from him. We certainly need more bodies in central midfield, don't we? Which I think is something we all predicted when we allowed Etienne Capoue, Domingos Kino and, and Joe Garner, dear me, James Garner 
will always be associated with Joe, the name Joe. I did the exact um, same thing during a podcast too. I, I know this is <laughs> very easily done. Very, very easily. easily. Yeah, both had equally forgettable tenures at Vicarage Road, unfortunately. But um, yeah, letting three century fielders go in January and signing just the one, I think we all kind of feared would come back to haunt us. And, and so it has proven. I must admit, I don't personally recall a lot of uh, Carlos Sanchez's career in England. He didn't play a lot at West Ham with his last club because he had um, quite a bad knee injury while he was there. And I remember him being at Villa, but I don't think he, you know, made a huge impression, probably in part due to the fact they were a god-awful team by that stage. But I threw it out on Twitter because I know a few Villa and West Ham fans support, uh, support me, blimey, Follow me, and um, they were not uh, they were not too uh, effusive in their praise. And probably the kindest bit of feedback I got was from uh, someone I know called Freddie Shires, who said, "Perfectly okay holding midfielder, but simply that very limited, and is probably even slower now than when I last saw him." Uh, less kind was Villa Ben, who said, "One paced, can't run, can't pass, can't shoot, can't tackle. Other than that, he's great." Um, <laughs> the West Ham perspective is. Uh, comes from Simon Lane, who used to be Wingate and Finchley manager, who said at West Ham, he never looked up to speed for the Premier League, always looked desperately unfit, never passed forward, almost always backwards or crabbing sideways. Other than that, he's great. So, you know, that's just a, a broad kind of spectrum of opinions. Doesn't sound great, does it? it? It just doesn't look like a very progressive, exciting signing, even to the end of the season, when you're, you're taking a 35-year-old who hasn't played for, you know, well, this year and, and a good chunk of last year as well because he left West Ham in 2020. So uh, presumably he's not going to play a massive amount. But obviously with, with Chalabar out and Cleverly's situation up in the air, he's, he's going to get some minutes, you'd reasonably assume. So I, 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 hope, I'm, I hope I am uh, left with egg on my face as always. Yeah, I mean, I mean, previously he was playing in the Premier League, wasn't he? In, in, do you think the Championship would suit him better, Jordan? Um, possibly. I mean, I think I, I looked through some of what Tom's fans had to say there. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I think that's kind of seems to be the general consensus on, on his recent playing history. Uh, I think you're talking about if you're looking at him as a, as a player, I think most of his notable achievements have come in that in them international games. And I think you could argue that he's more suited to, to championship football at this stage of his career. Um, maybe he's kind of in a situation where he, he'll be a little bit better suited to a team that's going to have more of the ball, not because he's particularly progressive as, with the ball, as Tom's saying, but more so because he's he's not required as much off the ball. Maybe he can be a little bit more static and he can play that kind of holding role. He's not he's not someone you're going to see move around the pitch. I think if you kind of think back to those earlier earlier first half of the season when Nathaniel Chalaber was playing that deeper midfield role, he was very, very much kind of tied down to that position. He wasn't really being very expansive in his movement. I think that's kind of what you'd expect from him. Um, and I think his role is predominantly going to be one of those to sit back and, and recycle the ball. And in, in a team that we're in the situation we're currently in with our midfielders, if that's what we have to call upon, then, you know, that's, that's fine. It's, it's better than the alternative. So, uh, I mean, we have to, we have to sign someone in this position. I think personally, I think if you're going to have any questions, it wouldn't necessarily be so much around the signing of Sanchez because he's one of the few that are available. It's more about how we, how we dealt with, that window in January and how we kind of strengthened that midfield position or, or didn't in our case uh, obviously it's a very tough window to operate and we've talked about that before and things are very difficult but there was a statement made by the club or 
or at least released two sources of the club. Um, I know there's, uh, there's a report in the Athletic that said they were looking to reinvest some money into that midfield position. And I know we signed Gosling, but to me, it just indicates there's a slight lack of communication with the with the head coach and with the recruitment team and, and discussing in terms of what he needs going forward. There was that change in formation, which suddenly we're far more desperate for a midfielder. We let one go in Domingos Quina, and then we're very short, only a couple of injuries away. And we're talking about a midfield group that has had their fair share of injuries over the last few seasons. So I think it's a, it's a gamble that we took, very similar to the one we took at left back at the beginning of the season. And unfortunately, it's not paid off again. Um, so in terms of Sanchez, I think he is what he is, um, but I think there should be some questions asked in regards to our um, our squad management and our recruitment team uh, and their communication with the coach. If we look ahead to the Forest game, uh, Cleverly probably is out for that. Chalaba we know is still suspended. I think Gosling is injured as well. Is that right? He was out injured with a hamstring injury. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a knock, supposedly the same as Lazar. But if he's if he's omitted from the squad, you'd assume especially when we're calling up under 23s as the replacement you'd assume the injury is significant enough that there's a good chance he won't be available for for Saturday so there's a, there's a chance that Sanchez could come straight in for this game you see my worry personally is that we see ourselves revert back to well I mean how thick can he be in terms I know obviously you're talking about match fit um, but I think match I think match fit can be I think match fit can be a bit of a myth um I think you can get to a, a very good level of conditioning without playing football. It's it's more the sharpness of being of being involved in the yeah. game. So I'd say maybe you're talking about how intense he's been training with the team in the last week or so. Maybe decide that factor. But I I kind of feel like I wouldn't be surprised if we see us revert back to a four four two on Saturday just based on this this need or lack of a bit lack of availability of players. Um, especially we're talking about filling Jao Pedro and Andre Gray in the team. I hope I'm wrong. I'd rather see us kind of mix and match a little bit and pull things a little bit around to kind of make that 4-3-3 happen I know there's obviously conversation of could Ben Wilmot be used in that midfield three mm. for me personally it's not it's not my favourite thing to do I'm, I'm not a big fan of moving players out of position I know he's played in there he's come on as a sub in there but I think he's as much as I like Ben Wilmot I do really really think he's a good player as a centre back I don't quite see him as as being that as comfortable in midfield and I'd it's not where I like to see him personally. I don't think that necessarily puts us in the best position to win. Um, but it's up to how Shishko feels about that, about that sort of that sort of movement of of his squad, or if he feels more comfortable reverting back to that four four two. Hopefully, we can keep some of the the fundamentals that we've we've kind of developed in that four three three, and can find a way of kind of adapting into that different change of shape without kind of going back to that more direct, um, unorthodox, not unorthodox, sorry, um, the more direct improvised approach that it felt that like we were having with that four four two. I think that's a big concern with all of us if we come to th- if we come to the kickoff time or an hour beforehand and we see that lineup. If we kind of see that four four two, we'll be a little bit concerned. But it might be the best way or what he sees as the best way to fit what players we have available into the team. Yeah, it could be. Um on Twitter, Nick uh, at GWR underscore Nick has uh, posed a, a a different solution. He suggested that maybe Feminia could do a job in midfield with Ngakia filling in at right back. What do you think about that one, Tom? What feminine central midfield? That's that's the uh, that's the suggestion. Ooh. I feel like he's got he's probably got the mobility to do that better than Ben Wilmot has. I was just looking up while while Jordan was talking there, Ben Wilmot. Because I always had it in my head that he played central midfield more when he was at Stevenage, but at least according to transfer marks, he did actually didn't. He played centre back. No, because there was a, there was a big thing about him being converted to a central midfielder as soon as he 
walked through the door at Watford, wasn't it? I think, I, I believe. Oh, was that the way around? It was right. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. Um, so I think the question mark against Wilmot is probably, or one of the big question marks against Wilmot in, in central midfield is his mobility. I think Kiko, you don't have that problem, but I sort of positioning and, and sort of uh, discipline and the, the, the more tactical side of it and his passing and what have you, I, I, those would be my questions there. I probably on balance would prefer Ben Wilmot. I think, look, let's face it, I think it's going to come down to who's fit and available on the day. And to be fair, Jordan makes a very valid point about Carlos Sanchez. Um, you know, there's there's nothing to say he hasn't been training with the, the team for a month, you know, and, and isn't fairly sharp. Um, his last competitive appearance was at the end of January 2020. So he's obviously not played an actual football match in over a year. But if you can get some minutes out of him and maybe some minutes out of Gosling or, you know, Wilmot in that role, then we might get through. But it's kind of ridiculous that we're scratching around like this suddenly for uh, a central midfield solution. I do actually quite like the idea of Kiko in midfield. I, I think you could, in a midfield three, I quite like the idea of him kind of playing that just off the right-hand side, kind of, you know, buzzing around and picking up the ball and just kind of spraying it left to right. I think he's quite quite, quite good technical ability and he could kind of fit that role if his positioning's good. He's a, he's a comfortable player on the ball. And I don't know, I, I could see it working, but I don't I don't think we'll take that risk um, this weekend. But I, I don't I don't hate the idea. If, you, if you're thinking about how you can move players around, I think that wouldn't be one of the worst um, but I think it might be a big risk for for the weekend. I think he might go with something a little bit more tried and tested, especially when you have the importance that we have put on Kiko on that right-hand side. He's such a threat. And as we saw again on, on um, in, in the game against Wickham, he kind of has a big part to play in both goals, actually. The first one, obviously, the assist. And the second, he kind of turns what would be a, a clearance situation for most players into a very nice ball down the line that ends up leading to a goal as well. So, yeah, I don't hate the idea. I just wanted to yeah throw my two cents in on that. Jeremy Keats has got in touch on Twitter as well, and he's kind of backing you up there, Jordan. He says the injuries to our midfielders, you know, look like he's been catching up with us, and you know, I wouldn't uh, disagree with that. As well as playing the same team twice a week, um, he suggests that you know Hungbo looks quite good. Could Hungbo, Hungbo come into that midfield? Yeah, I mean, he could. I think you'd. I'm not exactly sure. It's difficult to say because it, I think he needs to have. I think any any sort of players coming from that under twenty three level, I think you've got to you got to try and protect them introductions as much as you can. You've got to try and use them sparingly. Um, I think if you if you're trying to get the most out of those minutes to play, I think starting them can sometimes have some negative consequences too. Uh, whether that be on the player or on the team itself, it's a, it's a big jump in standard to what he's played previously. I'd rather try and give him those kind of small confidence boosts of giving him those those smaller sample size of minutes and, and getting him into some situations where he's more likely to succeed. I mean, if you really need to and you feel confident in him, obviously Shishko seems to like him as a player and he, he's been introduced recently. So if he's got a good feeling, then then yeah, it could be an option. It, it might be one. It's definitely one to keep an eye on. It's definitely something that might be being considered. Um, but just from my situation, from what I've seen of him and, and from where we are and where he is currently, I don't think he'll be called upon from the start. But I think like all Watford fans, like all football fans, you're always happy to see players in your academy making that kind of step up. And he seems to be one of the most promising from the current crop. So yeah, it could go either way for me. I, I'd say it's probably not going to happen from the start. Um, probably never a good time to um to be playing you know any team in the championship with a weaker team. I think it's it's likely that Watford will have a weaker side going in to the game on Saturday. But when you're playing a team 
in the likes of Nottingham Forest who have a couple of players in their ranks who uh, probably want to uh, prove a point against Watford in the likes of Glen Murray and uh, Garner. They, uh, I, I, I definitely was going to say Joe Garner. There Close as well, there. Guys, but, <laughs> but um, yeah, that is, you know, it's not a good time to play those guys, is it? Because they, they, they definitely want to get back at us, don't they? Yeah, they do. And, and, or, or I suspect they will. I, I know it would motivate me if I was a player and I suspect they'll feel the same because, you know, in the case of Glenn Murray, you know, barely got a crack. Did he? It was, it was, you know, ridiculous almost the, the underuse of 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 him given his pedigree and experience he wasn't that long ago people were calling for him to get an England cap and obviously that's you know in the past and seems ridiculous now but you know he's not he wasn't a competition winner but he was sort of treated like one and, and James Garner I think can probably have a, 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 the, the right to feel a little bit aggrieved as well because he was you know a mainstay in the team in the early weeks of the season and sort of manoeuvred out and there's no reason to suggest that now we've switched to a three he wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have played a little bit more again but obviously you know they've both gone in at Forest they've both made seven starts they've been you know ever presence I think virtually um, and and certainly going off Forest Twitter they they seem to have made a decent impression the other player of course who's going to be bang up for it is, is Anthony Knockhart who perhaps oh, yes, won't, uh, uh, won't be uh too disappointed to be playing uh, behind closed doors given his popularity with Watford fans but I'm sure there will be some something in his brain that makes him think oh Watford these don't like me very much so <laughs> yeah it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting the, 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 the rule of the X suggests that one of them is going to have an impact Jordan? Yeah I think Tom hit it now on the head there it's going to be it's one of those games, isn't it? You just you, you just feel that apprehension going into it when then players are going to have that extra 10% motivation or whatever it equates to and they're going to want to score and, and put on the performance. I think Joe Garner's had a lot of criticism from Watford fans and I'm sure he'll be looking to kind of right some of those wrongs that you felt he's had against him and Glenn Murray, the same thing, really. He's, he's shown that he's capable and he's still got some minutes in him and it'll be another good opportunity. And yeah, as for Knockhart, it's the same, same as we come to expect from... Like over the last you know five six seven years where he, he looks to try and turn up against us and he's had varying success with that but I think I think one thing that's always been consistent is the abuse he's got from the fans so maybe he'll miss that I kind of feel like as a player sometimes that might kind of spur you on a little bit actually I think that can kind of work against the, the fan base that are jeering in the entire game but it'd be interesting to see how it how it turns out for sure you know you said Joe Garner did I you say Joe? Joe Gar- yeah, you said Joe. Did I really? It's become a running- re- yeah, yeah, it's I promise you did. Now. This has become a running joke of the pod. No, I'd leave it in. I think it's funny. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's staying in. It's staying in. I might even name the podcast uh, this this week. The, the episode's called Joe Garner. That's it. I, Joe Garner. I don't know why. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why Joe Garner's had such an. It's the biggest effect he's had on this fan, on this club as a whole is just the, the mishap <laughs> of names being. Yeah, I can't even. Yeah. Um. Thanks, Joe. Yeah. Thanks, uh, Jordan. Um. How has Chris Hutton got Forrest playing at the minute? I think he's got them a little bit more consistent. Um, I think that's one of the, the real issues they had was they had, they had no solidity in defence. They weren't creating chances. I think still they're not the most creative team, but we've come to expect that from Chris Hughes in general for his teams. As we discussed slightly before that we started recording, is even when Chris Hughes had that talent in the in the league towards the top end, he's never really quite got them into an attacking forward thinking team. Whether it's at Brighton or obviously here now, uh, Forest, they're not they're not the most progressive, and and they. 
they're going to look to frustrate you, but they can be quite organized and they can be quite compact and they can be difficult to break down. So I think it's going to be a stubborn team to play. Um, obviously, they have got weapons that can hurt you and the likes of Anthony Knockhart, as we just discussed, and Glenn Murray can be dangerous if you're getting balls into the box with him. So I think it's going to be a case of, again, we need to be patient. We need to try and work the, work the ball and, and find space. And hopefully the likes of Zink and Nagel and Saar can be kind of crucial and, and impose themselves on the game as they did last night. Um, so, yeah, I think it's... For, for those that have seen Chris Hutton's teams play before, and most of us have, it's a little bit more of that is what I kind of expect for this this next one. Okay, good stuff. Um, Nick has got in touch on Twitter and uh, he sent he sent two questions, Nick, because he because he loves us so much. Um, and to be honest, I don't know the answer to this second question, so I'm going to throw this over to you because I did not watch the Andre Gray Hive Live interview post game. Um, Hopefully one of you did, uh, <laughs> um, ah, but um, no. but Nick Nick said that um, he came across a lot better than his previous interview, um, and also he was talking quite humbly and, and favourably towards uh, Jao Pedro as well. So uh, if you saw this, Jordan, um, <laughs> what, what was your what was your take on that? Yeah, I I think I think it being a live interview um, with no edits and not just the same weird vibe that kind of came across in the first club interview i think that helped a lot i think seeing his full answers and, and seeing the questions it just it felt a little bit more natural because it was um he, he is in some way the sympathetic character because you can see the the struggle he's had with his form and you can see it's had an effect on his demeanor he, he looks kind of slightly withdrawn and within himself and you can see there's a there's a there's a shyness to andre gray almost that kind of comes through a little bit more perhaps in a live live format so yeah i can i can see his point um i can see what he's what he's seeing there um and i think it says more honestly about how the club kind of handled that first interview and they really didn't put him in the best situation i think it was maybe a little bit unfair on andre even if the, ultimately the goal was to kind of help him out um, so I think what we saw last night was a, was a better way of doing it. It suited, um, it suited the message we're trying to get across, the other questions we're trying to get across, and it suited Andre Moore himself as well, I'd say. Okay, cool. I'm definitely checking that out as soon as we finish this pod. Um, Ricky Aldridge has got in touch. Uh, we actually have kind of covered his question already in, in the in the show, so it's good that we're, we're, we're talking about the things that people want us to be talking about, even without having um, prior knowledge that uh, at least I... I, I I'm reading these questions as I'm seeing them now. Um, but he would like to know uh, if Zinkenagel um, played well in his, in his sort of first start and, and whether you think he's going to continue to play in that sort of central role or if he's going to be pushed out wide in, in the long term. I mean, I think I'm hoping to see him out, out wide so I can at least have a comparison because at the minute I've only got prior knowledge of how he's done previously out wide and how he's playing for Watford in the middle. Um, and I'm happy with both of those, but I'd like to see how he plays out wide for Watford because that's supposed to be his best position and you know I mean I think the main issue is that his best position is on the right isn't it and that's also where Ismail Assar's best position is and, and no one's dropping Ismail Assar because he's he's lightning quick and doing the business at the minute um even probably not playing at his 100% best ability he's still he's still a very very good player but you know I would like to see him on the right at some point but I don't know how that happens I, don't, I mean do you, do you have any suggestions guys? Jordan's talked in the past about putting putting Saar up front again, hasn't he? With uh, or, or more centrally, I suppose. I think with the change of system, that's probably out the window for the time being. What I would say is that you know Saar seems to play every minute of every game, and you know I think we've all commented recently, haven't we, on the fact that we we look a little bit tired, and we look a little bit jaded in in certain moments of certain games. And I just feel like Saar is someone who would probably you know game yesterday it was clearly one, wasn't it? You know they didn't have a shot on target. 
the game the game was clearly won probably once the second grey goal went in I don't know why they didn't rest him at something I'm not saying even in that moment put us in Canadian up front because obviously we're, we're short in the centre of midfield at the moment but you know hung by or someone could have come on and, and just taken a bit of taken some minutes off of off of Saar. To to answer the question about Zinkenegel, I thought he was really, really good. Um he was, you know, he retained the ball, retained possession really well, had three shots, uh, you know, completed uh two of his three dribbles, I think it was, but I think probably arguably the most impressive thing, because those are kind of what you expect with those players is the work he did out of possession as well. You know, no one attempted more defensive duels than him. He won just under half of those. And I think that isn't expected of someone who is typically a winger. So, you know, I think he adapted to the role very well. And given the relative paucity of minutes he's had to, to play the full kind of 96 minutes after, you know, spits and spots of minutes off the bench here was was very impressive as well. So I think we're in all likelihood, given the, the shortage in central midfield and, and obviously with Tom Cleverley's situation as well, I think we're going to be seeing a bit more of him finally through the centre midfield. And, and, and Munoth was quite uh, effusive in his praise of him afterwards, I noticed as well, said he's a you know, fantastic signing and so on. So hopefully that was a real watershed moment for Zinkenagel. Mm. I think just getting on the pitch is the most important thing. I think even if you're seeing, even if you, are, if you, even if you argue that it's kind of at a reduced capacity, then getting him on the pitch and he can have an impact. And we saw that last night. He's a technical player. He can he can get in those advanced areas. He can pick up the ball. He's comfortable in possession. There's a moment where he kind of picked up that ball in midfield and, and turned and hit a lovely ball out to Ismail Assar and kind of really put us in that counter-attack. And those sorts of players aren't easy to get hold of. And, and he's a really good example of of talent in the squad that we need to find a way to use. So even if he's a little bit shoehorned, don't get me wrong, I don't think he's bad in that position by any means. I thought he was very good last night. But even if he's playing a little bit out of position, if he can get in there and contribute and, and you know be a part of that team that's the most important thing as as for his position on the right you guys touched on it already this man has played a lot of minutes there's a good chance we're gonna to have to see him rotated at some point whether that's injury or just you know he kind of hits that hits that point of fatigue where he has to have that break and he's kind of enforced by the medical team or or whatever there's situations that will arise but i think having Zinconegel involved on the pitch and, and contributing is is by far the most important thing. And at least we're starting to see that now, even if it's kind of come about through enforcement of injury. What I would be curious to know is if Zinconegel would have played that role last night and been on the pitch, had we had, uh, well, it maybe had Chalibre available, had not been suspended, or if Gosling was fit, I would be interested to see if that was a tactical decision, an enforced decision, or a bit of both. Do you think the, uh, the upturn in form... And this is actually a question from from Dorota. Do you think the upturn in form has has happened thanks to Munoz or or despite him? It's it's a little bit of both, right? Because ultimately he is the one to, to who's affected the change, who's changed the system, who's obviously tried to, you know, kind of send them out with a, a slightly different uh, style of play and slightly different match plan, and and it has worked. But equally, I I do think um, he's kind of or. I don't think I have a suspicion from some of the things that have been said that they've also taken um, it upon themselves to kind of, you know, say, right, come on, we've really got to pull our fingers out here and get going. We're in the business end of the season now. We're kind of, you know, how many games, not very many games away from potentially promotion back to the Premier League, which is where we all want to be. And and when I say that, I mean, uh, there was a couple of pieces that Adam Leventhal's done, which sort of, mentioned them all having a meeting after was it their Coventry City game and 
there was a quote I saw from someone saying, you know, we all, we listened to what Troy had to say. And I just, you know, I'm probably, as say, as we said before, we don't know what actually goes on. So you kind of fill in the blanks yourself. But, it, you know, equally, it wouldn't surprise me. It does seem to be quite a strong dressing room with a few big characters in. It wouldn't surprise me if they sort of said, you know what, right, we've got the talent. We need to just get our heads down, really work our socks off between now and the end of the season, fit a few more cliches into this answer and, and and just get it over the line. But I don't want to detract from what Munoz has done because, you know, I was pretty much Munoz out at one point and you can't argue with the recent results and, and more most importantly, almost the, the upturn in performances. If you look at the championship table, everything's to play for at the minute. You've got, um, you know, Swansea just behind one point, Brentford level points, but head on goal difference. Norwich probably getting away though, would you say? 10 points clear now it's it's hard to to see with like what 11 12 games left that um that they're going to get caught it'd have to be a catastrophic collapse wouldn't it for it for them to fall too far down i think they they've they've got that that just far enough ahead now where they've kind of got that momentum and it's going to be difficult um, i think it is all kind of eyes on that second place and i know obviously it's a very very tight group of three really with us since us and uh, brentford sorry us Swansea and Brentford even um, but uh, it's very difficult I mean the games come so fast any run of form good or bad can can have a massive impact and we saw that in that four game spell we had that win streak that kind of pushed us into that into that second place third place role even more um, if if one team can kind of do a similar thing to that that could be enough so we really just got to kind of keep our eye on that and see if we can if we can pick up some of those away away victories especially if we we'll be playing a couple of those top top three sides in, in the way fixtures and it's everything to play for it's just uh incredibly tough but that's i guess what makes it so entertaining tom uh yona goldschmidt has got in touch and he says do you think swanter results are sustainable given their underlying performances they're an interesting side aren't they swansea because with us and norwich coming down from the premier league Brentford obviously going so close last season and ultimately coming up short. And I think they're probably a lot of kind of neutrals favourites, aren't they? They're a very, um, you know, they're a very, very attacking, fun to watch side, score a hell of a lot. You know, they're about, they're about 15 goals up on both us and Norwich, aren't they? They're an incredibly attacking side. So Swansea have gone under the radar perhaps a little bit, which might be doing them a, a disservice. Um, but obviously the last kind of, you know, five or six games, they've been a little bit, hit and miss, got beaten, thumped, in fact, I think it's fair to say, at Huddersfield, got beaten comfortably by Bristol City last weekend. And we obviously know how how poor, uh, you know, they are at the moment. And it took a, a last-minute penalty from Andre Ayew to squeeze past Stoke, who aren't in in great nick either. I, I'm not going to sit here and profess to have, have watched a lot of Swansea. But what I, what I will say is that their underlying numbers do seem to be still seem to be fairly solid in this period. Over the last uh, month, their XG is still the, th- the third best in the championship, for example. Their their XG conceded is is one of the, the lower figures. So I don't I, I, I wouldn't worry too much. I think they're gonna be definitely there or thereabouts in the in the automatic race between now and the end of the season and, and certainly would be a playoff team for me. And obviously they've got two games in hand as well. So I think they're going to be uh, they're going to push us push us hard. So 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 Swansea, you've got down as third best XG in the league, is that right? Yes, over the Wait, last what? four games. Uh, over the oh, last, last four. 
over the last month yeah, yeah. okay okay because in yeah okay i'm looking at the, the bigger the season as a whole here because i think one of my concerns with swansea is they've they've got a similar defensive record to us obviously they're, they're the best in the league we're the second best um but one thing we do have in common is that we've both overachieved in, in a defensive sense in the fact that our expected goals for the entirety of the season has been 32.8 we've actually conceded 24 and Swansea's been 32.5 they've conceded 23 um, so we're kind of both kind of overperforming in that sense um, I think the, the difference between the two sides is when it comes to expected goals in recent form as Tom said there they've been a little bit a little bit better but over the course of the season they've they've kind of struggled to be consistently a threat um, and we have at parts but I think as, as the game of the season's gone on we've looked a little bit better in that in that area i'd say we're progressing as a team more than bournemouth but uh, more than swansea sorry and bournemouth for that matter um but one thing that we are seeing is that we are starting to kind of capitalize on these chances we created um we're actually kind of starting to lessen that margin between expected goals and goals and we're starting to kind of be a little bit more productive there so i think there's some promising signs in terms of how we match up with swansea over this final stretch but with swansea they're one of them teams for me that they kind of defy they defy the numbers sometimes and they manage to keep picking up those results despite the fact that on a lot of occasions their performances have been have been quite quite dull and, and really not looking like they have that kind of level of level of ability or application from the players to kind of get them consistent wins but they keep having that individual moment of talent or, or whether it be a penalty or someone stepping up and I know Jorge has been very good since coming on loan and they've had these kind of individual moments but I do I do wonder if they will tail off at some point because I do feel like there is a potential for that coming up to this last portion of the season. Okay, good stuff. Uh, my thanks to Jordan and Tom. We're out of time for today, but uh, thank you again for joining me both this evening. Uh, you can find those guys on Twitter at Jordan Weimer and at TB Bedell as usual. And also please follow us at Watford Pod on Twitter. And I know I'm asking a lot today. If you like the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, if you listen to us there, um, even if you don't, pop on iTunes, give us a review. We'd, lo- we'd absolutely love a review because basically it tells the stats um, that the, we're a good show and it'll get more people listening and then more Watford fans can come in and contribute just like you guys have been contributing today and um, and we can make the show even better. So send us a review, uh, even if it's not a great one, tell us how we, how we can improve because we want to we wanna make sure that we, we are delivering a show that you guys are enjoying. Okay, end of uh, speech. Right, we'll get back to uh, chatting again after the Forest game. Um, but just before we go, uh, Tom, who uh, runs his own podcast, uh, has actually uh, done a very interesting one recently. So, Tom, go on, it's your time to plug it now. Thank you very much. Very kind of you to let me do this. Um, I work for a company called 23, and we spoke this week to former Liverpool defender turned Sky Sports pundit Jamie Carragher. Uh, Very, very interesting chat about the use of data and analytics within football and within his role as an analyst for Sky Sports. So if you want to find that, do check it out. It's at 23sport on Twitter, and you can find the podcast on all good podcast platforms from next week. It's called Laptop Gurus. Make sure you subscribe, but also subscribe to this podcast too. Good stuff, I'll be listening. Okay then, from Jordan, from Tom and from myself, that's it for today. It's goodbye for now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.